Again, take your Bibles. Going to the Old Testament this morning. For those who've been here for some time, you know that I often, uh, during this time, take a break from the normal series and preach some of the passages of Old Testament, New Testament, concerning the Incarnation. These in the Old Testament, of course, forecasted. It, they predict, they prophesy uh, that this, this Messiah is going to come. The Savior of sinners is going to come. God, in fact, is going to do what men can't do for themselves. This is one of those passages in Zechariah chapter 3. It's been eight years ago that I preached through Zechariah. And uh, that was the last time we looked at this this particular portion was way back then. And some of you may remember and some of you may not remember but that's okay. It's always good to refresh, isn't it? It's one of the things I discover when I'm doing the new members class. People who sit through it, who maybe heard variations on it at other churches, always come and say, you know, it's good to be reminded of those things. It's good to go over those things again and again. Uh, Bradley just this week commented on Wednesday night, I'm doing Heidelberg Catechism using it as a basis and working through and particularly starting with question one and now I've kind of liked that so much I may just go on and do a few more as we work through on Wednesday nights and uh, Bradley was just commenting on how it's it's wonderful that that it's the same doctrines it's just from a from a, a, a little different angle because of the way the Heidelberg Catechism says things and it's good for us to be reminded and refreshed in the Lord in these truths. I'd encourage you, you adults, Wednesday night, no better place to be in the middle of a rough and rocky week than to be refreshed with the saints. Zechariah 3, I'm going to back up into the middle of the paragraph above and, uh, and write this, or read this rather. Verse 9, Behold, I, God's talking, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who served them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Now notice, the Lord of hosts is sending this person, whoever this is, right? We just read that. Don't don't lose side of this but then it says the Lord of hosts the Lord of hosts is sending me seeing rejoice daughter of Zion for behold I come and I will dwell in your midst who says this declares the Lord so the Lord of hosts is sending the Lord He's going to come, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, shall be his people, and I will dwell in your midst. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and I will and will again choose Jerusalem. For, or rather, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has aroused himself from his holy dwelling. Then... He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, 
The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave in its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of our God endures forever. Aren't you glad? Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask your blessings on it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah, the very name, means one whom Jehovah remembers. This is about God's covenant faithfulness. It's about God remembering his covenant with his people. It's written about 520 B.C. So... Zechariah is between Isaiah and Jesus. We're moving through the prophets. Isaiah prophesied of the Babylonian captivity, and now we're in the midst of that captivity coming to an end and the people being restored to their land. And yet, there's some things about this passage that don't fit that. That's one of the things we learn in the Old Testament and the prophecies particularly is that often these prophecies point us to the future and beyond, to the future future, if you will. And so we've got the prophecy here of the Lord coming. How often, I don't know if you reflect on this, but how often in the prophets particularly does God rebuke his leadership over his people, and then say, you know what? Shepherds, elders, priests, prophets, kings, because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, I'll just come and do it myself. You pay attention to that? Some of you look like you hadn't a clue what I'm talking about. I hope you pay attention to that. You are reading your Bibles, aren't you? You are reading the Old Testament because it's part of the Bible. You won't understand the new without the old and the old without the new, okay? All through the Old Testament, God just says, you're supposed to be doing this. I put you here to do this. Don't do that. Do this. Okay, you don't. I'm going to come do it myself. 
That's what he's saying right here. You're going to come to the land. And I'm going to come and be with you. I am your God. And you're my people. Now the ultimate fulfillment of this. Is not just in the coming of Christ the first time. But in the coming of Christ the second time. And as we read through. This is the fourth of the visions given to Joshua the high priest. From Zechariah. And so in that day the Lord of hosts says. Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine. Under his fig tree. And he says. He says before that. I'm going to engrave an inscription. I'll remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Well, iniquity still abounds, doesn't it? Christ came. But there's going to come a day when what Christ accomplished on the cross will have its full fruition. What he accomplished on the cross is this. Every king over this earth, every dominion, Satan included was crushed on the cross. And yet the effects of sin linger and linger until that final time when Christ comes at the very end and the new heavens and new earth come and in a single day all that iniquity is going to be dealt with. The penalty of sin has been dealt with. The power of sin is being dealt with in our lives day by day by the work of the Spirit. But there's coming a time when the presence of sin will be vanished vanquished from this from this world I hope that everybody here who professes the name of Christ can say with the apostle John even so come Lord Jesus I'm going to tell you folks there's not a day in this life that I don't think you know what this is, this is just, this is awful. Every sin is being pushed in our face as Christians. Have you noticed that? The more heinous the sin, the more perverted the sin, the more pushed it is by the public that loves sin. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1? Not only are people going to do all this perverted stuff, but they're going to, they're going to insist that everybody do it with them. And we're living in that age. And if that doesn't make you cry out, even so, come Lord Jesus, more every day, then there's something wrong with your heart. Your heart is too close to this world and not nearly close enough to Christ. And we need to repent. This passage is a good repentance passage. Because it points out to us just what we are. We are filthy. That's what the priest is doing. Remember what the priest primarily did. The priest primarily represented us, the people, God's people, to God. And here, as we were reading in Zechariah chapter 3, did you notice the emphasis of the first paragraph the first paragraph is that you got Satan who's accusing. Satan standing at his right hand, the right hand of the angel of the Lord. And we're not going to get into the details of this. We don't have time for this. But there are those that think the angel of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. 
I'm among those, but it's, it's, it, it, the way the passage moves back and forth between the Lord of hosts, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, all we know this is God, the triune God, is, is all in, he, he is all involved here. And Satan is standing there at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Do you think maybe Peter thought of that passage, by the way, when Jesus said that to him? Get behind me, Satan. He was accusing Christ, and Christ says, get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem to rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. So what's he doing? He's standing there. He's got on these symbolic filthy garments. They represent us. All of our filthy deeds. Another prophet puts it this way, this way. Even our best days are like filthy garments. Even our most righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Folks, listen. If we don't understand this, we won't appreciate what's going on in the next paragraph. If we don't understand that we are filthy garments, then we won't, we'll fall right in with the world and just celebrate Christmas the way everybody else does. Instead of being conscious and perhaps even a heightened consciousness because of all the, all the, uh, all that's being put around us. Instead of being heightened in our consciousness about who Christ is and what he did and what he has saved us from, we'll just become like the rest of the world. If we're not always conscious of this thing, that we are like filthy garments. The angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I've taken, away your, I've taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure garments. Stop right there. Notice, he didn't say to the people, take your filthy garments off. Somebody else had to do it. Take the filthy garments off for them. That's, remark That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? That's exactly what has to happen. You can't deal with it. Remember Eustace. Y'all have been around long enough and have heard me. One of my favorite images in the Chronicle of Narnia series. Eustace standing there. He's turned into a dragon. He, he's trying to get his, get his dragon-like stuff off of him. He looks into the reflection of the water. And the more he claws and scratches, he just, it's not happening. And Aslan appears. And Aslan has to do it for him. And with one swoop of those mighty claws, Aslan strips him of his filthy garment. Folks, listen. If you're trying to get better 
before you come to church, trying to get better before you come to the Lord's table, trying to get better before you trust Christ, it ain't going to happen. You can't. Those who are listening on the streaming now and later, when they tune in later, we have people still doing that. Baffles me, but I'm glad they do. This passage tells us anything is this. We're wicked sinners. It tells us this. Nothing we can do about it on our own. It tells us this. Somebody else has to do it for us. And it's the angel of the Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And notice what he does, though. He doesn't just take off the filthy garments and there we are standing naked again in the Garden of Eden before the fall. You know, that's not what salvation does. Salvation doesn't take us back before the fall. That's not going to happen until the new heavens and new earth. Then we get to go forward to before the fall. Do you see what happened? I will clothe you. I, this is, this is still the Lord speaking. I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. See, not just, not just the outside, but the inside. Our, our, our head represents the, the mind, our whole being, our existence. Someone ceases to have brain activity. Well, we declare them dead. Up until that point, they're still alive. The turban, everything from the head to the feet is taken care of. That's the beauty of salvation in Christ Jesus. He saves our whole being. That's the reason he assumed a body. We read about that in Philippians 2. It's the reason he took human flesh. He took a human nature. He took human will. So that he could save us in our totality. From the head to the feet. I will clothe you. So they put a clean turban on his head again. The man couldn't do it himself. The person couldn't do it himself. Someone else had to do it. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. See who's, the, the Lord is overseeing all this. And then the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Now hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold. So see, they've been, they've been assigned for us. They've been a big old road sign. We just covered largely what the road sign was portraying, right? We're filthy. We can't do it ourselves. It's got to be done for us. Someone else has got to do it for us. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declare the word. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. <clears throat> so what God's doing for his people in the present tense, in that first paragraph, he promises to keep doing. And he's going to do it particularly through one. It's the branch. Now we could run the references to the branch 
to Isaiah, Jeremiah, and others. And we're going to find what we found when I preached through Isaiah. The branch is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can go to the New Testament. And we can find that. We read things through the New Testament concerning the prophecies of the branch. Um, let me just, let me, let me read you something here. Um, in, uh, yeah, yeah. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord now the reason that one's important is because when we read elsewhere in the prophets about the branch this is the way they describe the branch in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice notice the description there, a righteous branch, and he will ex- execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So when Paul uses all this, Jesus is the righteous one. And when John refers to him in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, as Jesus, the righteous He's referring to the branch. Paul's referring to the branch, the righteous one. He is that he is that stub that Isaiah talked about. Early in Isaiah, he's the stub, he's the stump. And then he becomes the branch. In other words, he's manifesting, being more and more manifested to us. He was manifested in the flesh in his first coming. But folks, listen, in the words of Randy Bachman and Bachman Turner Overdrive, when he comes the second time, you ain't seen nothing yet. The glory of our Savior, when he comes in all of his glory and splendor, is going to be something. No wonder, no wonder, John, after recording all this revelation that God's given him in the book of Revelation, He gets to the end and he says, even so, Lord, come. It's no wonder Paul breaks out in doxology. After he writes a wonderful treatise on justification. And the electing grace of God. And he just goes into this this doxological fit, as it were. He can do nothing more, nothing less. So what we see here is two things. I will bring my servant. How did Jesus describe himself? Do you remember? His most favorite word or term for himself, name for himself, son of man. But he also described himself as a servant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's always, he always says this in the context of saving his people from their sins.
That's his ultimate service for us and to us. And then the branch. Again, Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. What did Jesus say to Pilate? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, that's why I was born, to be the king, the righteous king. But not a king like you think, Pilate. Not a king like these people are thinking. That's the reason we saw, we'll see, we'll get back to John later. He's going to avoid those, those every every effort on the part of the people to make him a king in their own image, to make him a king like Saul instead of a king like David, a man after God's own heart, and a kingdom that's not of this world, but a kingdom that's of another world. And yes, that kingdom is going and growing now, but it's going to continue, and it's going to have its final manifestation in the new heavens and new earth, the eternal kingdom of God. That's our hope. Our hope is in this one who came to seek and to save, to serve us, the branch, the one that we have forever. And then what does it produce in us? Well, ultimately, notice in that day after he's removed iniquity finally, that's the final coming. He's been doing all this work. He continues to deal with our sins. He continues to give us pure vestments. He's going to send his son. He's going to be the branch. But eventually, in that last day, in a single day, all iniquity is going to be removed. And in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, everyone, you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine, under his fig tree. That's what we should be doing now. But on that last great day, it's going to take place. We saw that in the latter chapters of Isaiah, didn't we? Those last five chapters of Isaiah are all about the new heavens and new earth. How glorious it's going to be. You know, all the animals living at peace with one another. All the ground producing without the briars without the weeds. We're going, to doing our, we're going to be doing our labor, not like we do now, fighting all the pestilences, but like it was before sin came. Our vineyards are going to flourish. Our fig trees are going to flourish. The new heavens and new earth. The water streams are going to run. The oceans aren't going to, aren't going to be... Um, aren't going to be such as we know them now. They're, they're going to be sweetened. We read that in Ezekiel chapter 47. All this is what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing. That's why we celebrate his birth. Because of what he's doing. Who he is. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the angel of the Lord. He's the one that took our filthy garments upon himself on the cross. He's the one who, who dressed us in robes of righteousness. 
And he's the one who's going to come again. And on that day, all sin will be put away. From our presence. Not just dealt with judicially on the cross, but actually put away. There'll be no more sin. That's the beauty of the new heavens and new earth is, yes, the presence of Christ. But at a very practical level, the absence of sin. I don't even know how to think about that, do you? But I like to think about that, don't you? You know, this time of the year, there are some songs that float in. I heard... uh, one just yesterday. Um, and most of these have no Christian sort of orientation at all. But it just tells you what people, even unbelievers, really would love to think of a time when there's no war. When there's only peace. But listen, folks, there is no time like that apart from the Prince of Peace. He's already won the war. We're just waiting for the settlement. And that's coming. The question is, whose side are you on? When that day comes. That comes through faith in Christ. In Christ alone. Father, we... Thank you for our Savior, the servant, the branch. He's the only one who can cleanse us from our sins. The only one who can take our filthy garments. The only one who can, who can clothe us in, in pure vestments, robes of righteousness. He is, he is in fact, the rose air blooming. It's a remarkable thing. Help us to look forward to his second coming as much as we love reflecting upon his first. Make us this week people who invite their neighbors, their neighbors to come and sit under the vine and under the fig tree that this branch is producing. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.